Mission Chats. Greetings, this is John Crow, host of Mission Chats, and I am delighted to be recording my very first uh, real podcast episode. You might have heard my little introduction uh, test that I did a little while ago, uh, but this is my first interview uh, as it is, and I am excited to introduce you to my dad, Ian Crow. And uh, he is going to be my first guest. I figured that was a, an easy way to start this off and give us a chance to make sure this works uh, well. So here we go. Dad, it's uh, great to be able to do this together. And uh, I must say, uh, we've been joking a bit about it on Facebook and stuff, but you look great with the beard. And I think it really is the first time I can remember seeing you with a beard. Um, but it's a very uh, distinguished look. And uh, I feel in good company uh, myself here. But uh, I thought we'd get us rolling and wanted to hear kind of the, your story. So a little bit of your own salvation testimony, but also kind of what and how you were called into missions for yourself. So I'm going to let you tell us that story as we get going. Sure. Well, thanks, John, for inviting me to share my story. Um, back to my early childhood memories, my mother took a keen interest in two missionary couples from the church we were attending at the time and she would invite them to our home whenever they were back on home assignment. I don't know if that had any particular influence on the fact that I later became a missionary. Um, I was converted. When was I converted? I'm what's referred to among Christians in Australia as a 59er. There are or were quite a number of us who became Christian workers in Australia and in overseas missions. The 1959 Billy Graham Crusades had a huge impact in Australia. It was at one of the preliminary meetings that uh, I committed my life to Christ. It wasn't Billy Graham himself speaking, it was Leighton Ford, and I was 15 at the time. Then after that, I was a little bit unhappy at the church where um, we were attending. So having now obtained my driver's license, um, I was free to go out and do some exploring on my own and came to this church who had a very missions-minded pastor. In fact, he used to take the youth group to a monthly missions youth meeting as a regular event in the youth program. He also opened his pulpit to a variety of missionaries and he organized an annual missions expo at the church. I think that did have a big influence on the fact that I eventually became a missionary. This same pastor got me involved in teaching a junior Sunday school class and leading the junior Christian endeavor. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but you can Google it. It was a very good training program for young Christians. As I was getting more involved, I realized I needed more training myself. So I started considering the several residential training colleges that were available in Australia and I chose to go to the WEC Missionary Training College. WEC also ran the monthly youth meeting we attended as the church youth group. Meeting a number of those who had been trained at the college probably had an influence on my choice of colleges as well. Then while at the Missionary Training College, an Aussie missionary working on Bible translation in the Ivory Coast, West Africa, wrote of the translation projects that could be undertaken if they had a, had personnel 
already interested and doing well with the linguistics component of the course. This resonated with me and eventually it eventually became my, my goal. Yeah, and when I uh, tell people about uh, my parents, I always say my parents were career missionaries. Okay. So, uh, I guess uh, when I think back, you know, it seems like you spent 30 years on the field uh, from my memories and if I did my math right. Um, and of course, during that time, uh, you weren't doing just one thing the whole time. So I thought it'd be great to hear a little bit of the story of kind of the different opportunities you had uh, serving on the field in the Ivory Coast or uh, Cote d'Ivoire, as it's formerly known. Um, and even, you know, what it was like to serve in in a foreign language in French uh, and other tribal languages along the way. OK, well, it was only 25 years on the field. Um, you take out the furlough times, there was three or four of them. Uh, probably four, maybe five, uh, but I needed 15 months of language learning in Switzerland, and then there was a two-year training program and probably another year of preparation in Australia. So, yeah, I guess I started in 64 and finished in 93 in active field service. Anyway, during my first year of orientation and local language learning on the field, I attended my first field conference. And the African, there was an African pastor who had served a number of years at a place called Tuba, up in the bush, long way from anywhere. He was very discouraged at the lack of response uh, to the gospel and pleaded for a different assignment. That was granted, and it was decided that the post would have to be closed. God was speaking to me, and before the end of the conference, I dropped the bombshell that I would be willing to go there and keep the post open. This was a little church. There was a little church building there. And on my first Sunday, five people turned up for the church service, an old leper man and five primary school students. A lot of my time was spent trekking in the villages in my early years. And I used an interpreter to share the gospel. I'm not sure how effective that was, because often when I was speaking, my interpreter would say, well, I've already told them that bit. So um, he was probably preaching his own sermon while I was trying to preach mine. Anyway, um, I went to the field single and we were married um, after my first term. And at that point, Ruth joined me and we added a religious instruction program to our regular rounds of things to do and probably visited a dozen primary schools in the area each month. That was done in the French language, so we didn't need an interpreter for that part of the program. Um, I guess I acted as the pastor of the church. It grew from that small beginning to having 70 or so coming regularly. However, the majority were educated people who'd come to town to work with the government or in the private sector. The old leper man was set aside as an elder during that time. I eventually discovered that he was about the same age as my father, although the ravages of leprosy had made him look much older. My son, John, was born at the end of this, this uh, term in, in the bush in, at Tuba. Uh, after that, um, we had a home assignment and came back to the field, and I was given a new assignment. Uh, I guess the field were beginning to recognize that I had some administration gifts and um, abilities. So 
we were assigned to open a business office and a guest house in what was then the capital, at least the major city in Ivory Coast. But there was no handbook for what to do to run a business office. And our guest house happened to be the second bedroom in our small apartment. Uh, often John would have to move out of his bedroom to make way for some guests passing through town. The business office took care of things like visas and passports, import and export of mostly missionaries' personal effects, travel arrangements for them going on home assignments, and the procuration of supplies. Anything from a small part for a broken machine to a 44-gallon drum of peanut butter. Um, we did this uh, from our first our little apartment to start with. And um, we eventually added three other official mission partners and a host of small missions. And we moved uh, later into a 18 bed uh, arrangement in, um, using four different houses for guests and ended up with a 36 bedroom, a 36 bed, three story purpose built building. And um, we also got a mention in the hitchhiking, one of the hitchhiking guides as a quiet and secure place when people were in Abidjan. Uh, we had some church involvement, Ruth maybe more than me because she ran a midweek um, women's meeting and she did the Sunday school classes and I had occasional preaching um, times on, on, the, on the Sundays. And then we were involved in some of the citywide events and encouraged churches to get involved. That included two visits from OM ships and one visit from the Mercy ship. And then there were a couple of famous evangelists that came through. And then I've just been rereading some things about a three-week grassroots evangelistic campaign where we tried to get all the churches involved in reaching out in their neighbourhoods. Uh, in 1993, John finished what he could do in high school on the field. He was doing it by correspondence and needed to come home. And we were counselled not to just go home and drop him off, assume everything would be okay, but rather go home and get him settled. And he had a brother four years younger. And so we thought, well, by the time we get John settled, it'll be time to settle David. So we actually cut our ties with the field, um, hoping that one day we might be able to go back, but it never eventuated. And during our time at home, uh, we had an invitation from OM to become their state director. Now, they, they knew about us because John had joined OM to uh, spend two years on their ship, Logos 2. So after a little bit of thought and a lot of excitement, we accepted that. And um, we served in that role for about 12 years. And then it came time to retire. So we moved to what's um, considered one of the top tourist destinations in Australia on the Gold Coast. We're not in the fancy part. We're in a little backwater, I guess. Um, but then the question was, what do we do? Well, 
we knew that there was an English conversation class. So Ruth went off to explore and see what was happening. And she would come home excited every week. All these people had no knowledge of uh, Christian things and able to do a lesson that revolved around some bi biblical story or topic. So she got me involved in that too. And then we decided that uh, we could do that in our own church as well. So we had two classes a week. And in the class, we ran at our own church. I think probably over seven years, we had 600 different people from at least 20 different nations come through our classes. Um, and probably 10% of those people came and had at least one meal in our home. Some of them came quite regularly on a Sunday. Those who attended church, it was just the standard thing. They would come home for lunch afterwards. Uh, so that was um, a new venture in retirement. Really enjoyed it. But then COVID came along and that kind of killed that. And I think there are seasons in life. And I guess in 2019, 2020, that came to an end. And I guess I could say now I am retired. Um, so being retired, what does that mean? Well, I've got a lot of time on my hands. And my wife's father kept all the newsletters we wrote home from the field. So I'm enjoying reliving my field experience and sharing some of the funny things that happened with the boys. And um, yeah, maybe write a book one day. So where do we go from there? Yeah, no, that'd be great, Dad, to, to have a, a book to capture some of these stories as well. Um, but I think, you know, just one thing I've always observed and uh, it's been a challenge for me, I guess, a little bit is your hospitality and obviously talking back in the time in Abidjan running the guest house. That was sort of a key part of your ministry there. Um, but then as well, once you sort of settle back into Australia, especially in these later years, just opening your home uh, to some of these English students and others. And I think you've often said how for many of them, it's their, you know, it's the first time they've had a chance to be in an Aussie home as such. Um, so yeah, that's always been something that's really stood out for me. But thinking back, obviously, you know, 25... On, before you keep going, yeah. Uh, the other thing is we do actually do homestay. We're registered right. with one of the language schools and we we like a one or two week stay. We don't, a place isn't big enough to have somebody there all the time or we probably would. But uh, yes, yeah, so opening your home is, is a blessing, not only to people who, who come, but to yourself as you meet people from different backgrounds and families and all sorts of things like that. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Dad, for uh, sharing a little bit about your own personal story, as well as some of the experiences you had uh, while serving on the mission field. I hope that's been encouraging to our listeners. And uh, I'm actually going to pause here. We're going to call this one episode one, and we will continue with episode two, which is the second half of this interview, uh, where Ian shares his God stories and some words of wisdom for those maybe considering missions or supporting. So God bless you all, and we'll see you next week.